This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Philip Gilfus, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my co-host, down in Transporter Room 3, Chief Daniel Prue. Now, Daniel, is... Is this a transfer request I see here on this pad I just received? You know, Philip, I've been sitting down here very quietly to myself, uh, you know, minding my own business for a hundred so episodes now, and I just think it's time that I move to somewhere nice and quiet where nothing bad will ever happen to me, and I'll only be able to play with my little trinkets and maybe build chips and bottles, and people will just leave me alone. So that's, I'm sorry, it's not personal, it's just the way it is. Oh, wait, I keep having your mute button on. Okay, let me turn that off. Okay, and I'm also joined by my other co-host over in the Observation Lounge, Cadet Darren Moser. Now, Darren, I heard you got into some trouble over at the Academy, but but I wouldn't worry about it. I think you can find life on a new starship. Maybe all you have to do is just change your name. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was doing really well going up against Zur and the Kodan Armada, but, you know, the last maneuver just, it, it just led to some trouble. But, you know, I, you know, this starship, it's just too confining. I mean, it can't even land, like, but once. So I think I and need to well, just. Not that well, really. Yeah, really not that well. <laughs> you know, really, if we're honest, you know, Dex, Dex 19 through whatever, they're, they're, they're toast. You know, they're the landing gear, let's be honest. And so I think I need a new, a new, you know, a better starship, you know, something that can, you know, take off and, and land, do repairs. I mean, if, what if there's not a space dock around, you know, Philip, it could happen. There's space docks everywhere. Why, why did you even worry about that? That's true. That's true. Well, it's just like the Mars defense perimeter. I mean, it's, I have such utter faith in, in Starfleet systems. Oh, goodness. Well, as clearly as everyone can tell, um, the subject we're doing tonight is, is kind of a reverse of a subject we've done before. Or, you know, we've done an earlier show where we talked about, you know, the transition from the original series of Star Trek to the next generation and what things, you know, we took with us and what things we left behind and kind of what elements in TOS were kind of lived in TNG. But in this, t- or tonight's show, we're going to kind of talk about the next step, and that's TNG be- and beyond. You know, like almost Star Trek Beyond, if I really think of a title. <laughs> no, no, but, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, no, but basically, what is TNG's legacy? Um, specifically in the 24th century, because, of course, DS9 was the companion show um, near the end there. And then Voyager lived on as well. And, you know, they sort of played in this world that, that was created by Star Trek The Next Generation. And, you know, and this is my word, so don't blame Daniel and Darren. But in a lot of ways, TNG reinvented Star Trek. Um, from the original series and sort of set the new stage and a new tone and what's this whole Trek world about that we knew of and, and you know, so and what happens next? And then sort of gets answered in DS9 and, and Voyager and then, you know, to a certain extent, Enterprise as well, though, of course, that goes back in time. Um, but so I just kind of want to set up the stage um, with Deep Space Nine. Um, and, and I'm kind of going to break it apart into kind of Deep Space Nine Part 1, which is sort of Season 1 to 3-ish, and then DS9, Season 3-ish to 7. So basically pre-Worf and pre-Defiant, kind of those early days of Deep Space Nine. Um, and, and kind of the question is, where do you all see the TNG legacy li- living on? And, and Daniel, our star- I'll start with you with the obvious thing of how does TNG legacy live on? If only there was some character we gave them. <laughs> if only! <laughs> or characters, I should say. Yeah. I mean, is this even in the same universe? Oh, wait. Oh, O'Brien's here. Okay, then we're all good. <laughs> the O'Briens, they're a complete package. That's right. Oh, all three of them at that point. All three. Yeah. <laughs> Soon to be four. Plus the glinton Chief O'Brien's eye. 
yeah, I mean, you know, it's like you said, we talked about how TOS kind of changed into TNG, but then especially from third season on, TNG kind of was really good at world building and kind of establishing this universe and the look and the races and the politics and the conflicts. Uh, yes, I said conflicts of all of these different kinds of elements. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, it's something I never thought of when I was a kid watching Star Trek, but now like in my most, especially in my most recent rewatch of watching TNG, it's like, Oh, Hey, this, this is picked up in Deep Space Nine or this is picked up in Voyager. And it's funny to think like you, unless you have the mindset uh, and you're thinking about what the writers were considering at the time, like a lot of that stuff was obviously intentionally made that way. I mean, like you don't think that like, say for instance, Ensign Rowe, that episode was maybe made to establish that initial conflict from Deep Space Nine. Cause that was probably just a kernel of an idea at that point. But like, at some point, they went from, hey, this is a p- p- the potential that this could do, and we could do this other thing, to actively trying to set these things in motion in the, in the next generation to set up all these future series. And, of course, we get that immediately with Deep Space Nine with a bunch of these characters that, like, of course, O'Brien and famously, unfortunately, like we were supposed to get with Roe as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he keeps leaving out Keiko, folks. I, I noticed it, too. <laughs> um <laughs> And then Darren, I mean, you know, of course Daniel brings it up, but not only is it just the uh, the obvious characters that Deep Space Nine starts with O'Brien, but like even the ones that TNG created, but uh, you know, the Trill, uh, mm-hmm. the Ferengi, um, all you know, sort of getting new life. We, no, we didn't. We didn't create the Ferengi. There were no Ferengi before <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Is this a TNG recut Darren edition? <laughs> yes. <laughs> But no, that's true. I mean, there were some races that they took and 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 shifted. I mean, you had a main Frankie, like one of the main seven. You know, not seven. There's like there's like fourteen or something in DS Nine. I always lose count. But the magnificent uh, seven. <laughs> uh, but you had Quark. You know, which is like the definitive Frankie character for really establishing. Just like Worf really helped establish, you know, the Klingon culture for us. Um, and then, you know, like you said, Trill, which they changed uh, quite a bit, you know, with Jazia, not just the makeup, but also the, you know, just some of the rules of the species. But then they played within those rules that they made. So, you know, I can I can respect that. But, yeah, I, I think it's a lot of early, like you were saying, season one through three DS9 also reminds me of kind of early TNG because now they're also trying to set themselves apart from from TNG. You know, like, yes, we're in the same time. Yes, we're in the same universe. But, you know, why, why watch DS9? Is this not the exact same thing? No, it's different. We're on a space station. We have, you know, this, ma- you know, different, there's a lot of political intrigue, you know, you know, Cisco punches Q and says, I'm not, you know, he punches Q and says, I'm not Picard. Like, he's, they're very clear that this is, you know, a di- you know, like a different uniforms. And, and that's good. I mean, they definitely needed to establish themselves uh, in the beginning. And, and I think they did a, a fairly good job, you know. But yeah, like you said, they were playing in the same sandbox, but they're just in a different corner. And of course, I mean, our listeners know this, but just to say it, you know, the interesting thing with Emissary and the pilot is that the jumping off point is. Star Trek The Next Generation, the best of both worlds. You know, that, that, it, that right. you know, they didn't even, you know, that there was obviously, because this is sort of the first time we've ever done this, to have a companion show. Um, I mean, Deep Space Nine is its own thing. I don't mean to say it's, you know, lesser. But, you know, two series going at the same time is what I mean. Um, you know, the first time we're going to have two series co-, co at the same time. And, you know, we leap off with best of both worlds because, hey, you know, that'll help fans get over here to the new thing. Um, but it's interesting that that, that sort of the, the opening conflict is Cisco dealing with, you know, the legacy of Best of Both Worlds of Locutus. And then, hey, it'd be really weird, man, if Locutus actually showed up, guys. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, that's a way to start it. You know, you start with your main lead guy hating our captain. That's a bold move, but they, they pull it off. And I think, you know, because they have that conflict starting off, how it does arc over the course of Emissary, not, you know, the other Emissary, but the DS9 Emissary, you know, that it, 
that it works that it, that it that it pays off i was just having a conversation about this with someone and maybe i'm the only one that feels this way and i don't it doesn't bother me that much but like it's funny that like looking back on emissary that they put these characters in conflict because it's it's like Cisco is it's been three years since his wife has died and get over it man not, not I mean <laughs> not well, yeah in a way I guess it sounds insensitive when you say it like that but like you know it's, he's a professional and he's like he's acting no, extremely know. unprofessional and like with, with, yeah. if it wasn't Avery Brooks I think I would have had a, a bigger problem with it like the, the scene is played very very well and I will say that but I, like Thinking about it in the context of the universe, I'm like, first of all, he, he's it's three years later, and he like is blaming Picard when he knows it's not Picard. Like he knew Picard had zero, you know, ability to control his actions at that point. I've it, it almost feels. I think the real reason it bothers me is because we're it, emissary sets it up like this is a huge deal to Cisco. And then literally it is never touched again for the rest of the entire series. We never touch on his hatred for the uh, Locutus or the Borg. Like, I don't even think the Borg are mentioned maybe, what, one or two more times in the whole show. It's just funny that that's, like, where they jump off of there. Daniel, that's because, and I think this is a reverse situation, you know, of you knowing so much about 24th century relationships. What I think I have to tell you about and explain (laughs) is the power of the Prophets. And oh. that oh, how much they heal Cisco. I mean, I don't. You, I, maybe you have trouble understanding that, Daniel. You know, maybe I'm just now picturing the first time he gets pulled into the prophets, and it, like the beach materializes around him, and he's just like, "What the is going on?" Now, Daniel, let me tell you a story about these people who I'm going to call Bajoran. Um, <laughs> let me Bajora? wait. Wake up. Is, is what you mean the Bajora? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like you mentioned though, Daniel. You know, like that they don't. Yeah, they don't mention the Borg again, really. And actually, actually, I'm a little sad for that because I mean, we get a ton of Borg in in Voyager. We get a freaking Borg crew member, but now I really would have paid money to see a assimilated DS9. I think that would have been awesome looking. Like they just like they make it like a they start making it into a sphere. They just keep crisscrossing and connecting all the pylons and man it would have been cool if like maybe like a, a ship from d space nine had like fought the boar <laughs> well they never mentioned that did they on d space nine so i guess it didn't happen well i, guess I mean this happen. is season one so we don't even have a ship i yeah. mean what are these runabouts gonna do <laughs> now now and I'll, I'll pick on you darren you know one of the things we talk about with tng is how much you know they avoided tos like we're not gonna have vulcans we're not gonna yeah. you know kirk scott so do you feel like early ds9 was purposefully avoiding doing anything tng or was it like well we kind of have to because that's what people know and like like how do you think they kind of played that you know how much are we gonna I, I be feel like them? that they were avoiding it I mean, you have O'Brien. I mean, that's like having... And no one talks to him. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like having, you know, Spock or, you know, at least McCoy or someone, like, as a major part of your cast. You know, there are the connections. So, no, I don't feel that they avoided it, but I I think the premise was different enough that they didn't really need to shy away from it. I mean, yeah, TNG is... It's another ship called Enterprise with another crew, and they're... Alien of the Week, you know, it's it's very similar to TOS, whereas Deep Space Nine, you know, they had to more differentiate themselves from Babylon 5 than from TNG, you know, ask your uh, kids, ask your parents, you know, <laughs> it's the 90s, but... Uh, from the makers of Sense8. <laughs> but, yeah, so no, I don't feel that. I think, I think they, like you said, they embraced the time frame they were in. I mean, they, they used it as a, you know, a build-off. I mean, like Daniel said... TNG was sowing a lot of seeds for what would, you know, eventually, you know, bear fruit in, in DS9. And, you know, the, it's as if, because obviously, I mean, it's a lot of the same people. It's, I mean, there was such a huge gap between TNG and TOS. I mean, it's not, except for Gene and maybe one or two handful of people, like, it's not the same people making this show that made it in the 60s. So it's just, uh, you know, it's the next chapter. And, and Daniel, I, I mean, y'all mentioned how, you know, there was this huge setup and huge setup um, for Deep Space Nine and TNG, you know, f- throughout five seasons, five and six and, and well, I mean, seven still was already on the air. Um, but 
do you feel like it was just like a clear handoff of like, hey, here's the Cardassians, here's the Bajorans, Maki, here you go, and then DS9 ran with that? Or do you felt like DS9 kind of like, I see what you did there. We're going to have our own little spin on it. No, uh, you know, in my most recent rewatch of, of Deep Space Nine and TNG, I, I did the crossover thing where I watched uh, the same thing you're doing, Philip, where you watch one episode, you watch them chronologically in universe. So you're actually watching part of season six of, of TNG and then part of season one of, of As Deep the Space Prophets Nine. Intended. So, but like by air date is what you mean. By air date, yes. But, but technically, it was, I think the list I got was, was by star date. Um, oh, oh, yeah, even better. So, uh, you know, and it's really interesting actually to watch. And it is interesting too because, like, for instance, the preemptive strike, the second to last episode that we get is uh, is a super heavy Maquis episode, which. The rope episode? Yeah, yeah. Which um, Deep Space Nine was, was doing really interesting things with, and they were just about to start doing things with in, well, start for a little bit with in Voyager. And so it's actually really seamless. Um, I think like the Cardassians, for like you mentioned, are are kind of actually very consistent with how they're portrayed uh, in both TNG and Deep Space Nine. Uh, you know, except of course they lose the facial hair once they get to Deep Space Nine. But that and the helmets, and the helmets. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> uh, so I actually, um, I mean, of course, Deep Space Nine went on to do different things, especially with those races, because they had seven years to play with those braces you know to, to to really delve into them whereas tng just kind of set the baseline and let them go but it, it's to me I, I even from the early days of the really tough cardassian war that we had to deal with oh man yeah, it's the bloody rough. chapters <laughs> uh you know the, the, the menstrual spe- <laughs> boy to the war is gone <laughs> the the cardassians only grew uh, and, and you know it was it was the strong the strong seed laid in TNG and then T, and then it took D Space Nine to grab it and and take it and run with it for all it was and it's to me it works really seamless and really well as kind of a a whole project a whole universe it really does it works really much better than you might think it does especially consider how um, how reluctant they were to kind of cross over between the shows. Now, and this is for either one of you, I mean, from my personal standpoint, so, you know, watching TNG Live being, well, I, you know, six and seven, I guess I wasn't as young as, you know, I mean, would have been... You were younger. Yeah, no, no, yeah, because I wasn't nine or ten, that would have been early TNG, but anyway, but, you know, watching six and seven, so I did not watch Deep Space Nine when it came on, because I was like, oh, I got TNG, I'm happy, and that, and that was sort of my attitude. Now, did y'all watch Deep Space Nine, you know, when it came on, and if so, what was y'all's thoughts, you know, as TNG fans, you know, now and then to deep space nine you know where you're like oh it's just like my my beloved trek are you like oh it's a, i see what they're doing <laughs> yeah i was just like more star trek woo <laughs> i'm like so yeah no i just kept kept on watching and that's really where you know i think i started watching a lot with my my father is you know because again you're just you're older by around the time that that ds9 is coming out and then yeah we just that night was DS9 night and we'd watch it and you know talk about it and just enjoy it and yeah it's I was just anything and everything Star Trek is the more the merrier I think I think when I came out it was I was seven or eight so I remember like being at school and having that very you know kind of immature conversation like Oh man, they they don't even have a starship. They just sit around and do nothing. This isn't <laughs> Star Trek. This is so stupid. But then, like by the time that I was like maybe twelve, when it was on syndication, the first couple of seasons, I think up you to learned season- a lot in those two years. <laughs> I did. I grew. I grew <laughs> probably like six or seven inches. But anyways, um, you know, the first three seasons were on uh, syndication, so I would watch them during um, uh, spring uh, summer vacation, and that's kind of. So it was a it was a separate entity in my mind. Uh, I never really made a lot of connections between the two watching the shows, but it, uh, I got to I, I got to like it, um, even though it wasn't really connected to TNG in a lot of ways to me. Yeah, and you know one thing about you know the TNG legacy is it was was it easy to see or is it even even easy to see now? I guess at the time, you know, is there could DS Nine maybe either have that legacy of TNG or not? Considering TNG's like this big shadow over the space station of like <laughs> we're still on the air, but it's cute that True. you're here too. You know, I, I, that maybe 
fans who watch it now can, you know, watch it separate. Like, oh, there's a TNG. Oh, let me watch this Deep Space Nine. That it's not maybe that sort of big brother or big sister thing that was might have been going on at the same time. I think TNG is still the big brother, still has the shadow. I mean, it's it's still... Well, it's a big ship, let's, let's say. <laughs> Not as big it's, as the station, though, let's be yeah, fair. Even though, you know, someone could stumble on... Let's let's take, for example, someone who just saw some of the new, you know, JJ movies, and they're like, oh, I wonder if there's more. And, like, someone directs them to Netflix or something, and they're like, oh, there's... You know, they they probably have heard of TNG... And they've heard one or two people say, oh, but DS9 is also really good, you know, and if you want Voyager, you know. It's, whoa, whoa, but, whoa, whoa. How'd that get tagged just, on the no, end? No, I'm just saying. An Enterprise that even I, made the list. I you actually, I, no, I, you know, it, it, I, we don't have the numbers in front of us, but I actually think, yeah, if, no, if, if my memory serves correctly, I think Voyager had a bigger audience than Deep Space Nine did. Um, as far as viewing numbers in the 90s went, is, you know, is on air. Like, that's why a lot of people refer to Deep Space Nine as like the stepchild, right? And like the, the, mm. the Star Trek project that got ignored by, by you know, all the bigwigs, so they got to do their own thing, which actually becomes a very integral part of that show and, and really what makes it special and unique. Uh, it's, it, it, they got to do their own thing because... Either the the executives were worried about TNG, or that once that was over, the executives were worried about Voyager, and they just they were like, ah, "These space lines on, let them let them do what they're doing." All that, all that, all that overlap, because yeah, like you said, the first couple of seasons TNG's still on the air, and then the last couple of seasons Voyager's on the air, and they're like the they're the gateway, they're the gateway drug. All right, and then one last thing maybe about the early seasons unless of Deep Space Nine, unless you all have something to say. So sort of like the companion years, we'll call it that to make it a little bit easier. Um, tone. Like we've been talking about like the stories and the characters. It's just like the overall tone of the series. You know, here at Earl Grey and here at Trek.fm, we try to combat the cartoon, you know, stereotypes of like TNG doesn't have conflict. Deep Space Nine's just so dark, you know. Is that true or not? So, but like, what do y'all think of sort of like when we think of TNG, what we think of the, what we love and what we you know, about the series and all the characters and the stories and blah, blah, blah. And Deep Space Nine, did you all, do y'all think now and then that it, it was so radically different? Or is it like, you know what? No, this whole thing that we've created these past, you know, six years, you know, of, of Star Trek Next Generation, it's definitely living on here. Or did you think it was sort of like, you know what, this is our chance to start a new kind of trek, and, and we're going to try and do that. So I literally, this this, this um, metaphor just popped into my head, so I don't know how well it's actually going to play out as I say it. But uh, TNG is th- the daily show with Jon Stewart, right? It's the big one. And then uh, Deep Space Nine is uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, where they get to spend more time <laughs> and really, really drill down on these things. So they get to, it's, a sl- it's a slow burn kind of show. So it's much. So who's Voyager? Who's Voyager, Daniel? I would say Stephen Colbert, but it doesn't. <sighs> and, and is Enterprise the Larry Wilmore show? Revert emergency power to analogy. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really good analogy, uh, Daniel. I think that I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Voyager part, we kind of like we weren't really trying, but <laughs> so, so I don't think. I mean, I, I guess I I do agree with people when they say it's the it's definitely the darkest, the darker of the shows. But I, especially in the early years, especially like you were mentioning, Philip, the crossover years. Uh, it doesn't get like that. I mean, occasionally it does, but so does TNG occasionally. So it's like it's in tone. It is a little more, um, a little slower, uh, heavier for, for the most part. But it's not. It doesn't get too crazy. I, I don't think until the, the the war arc, of course, you know, and that's later on. Yeah, I agree. I feel especially like the the one through three ish we're talking about now was very TNG tone, but just. A little more mature and i think a lot of that has to do just with you know who's the showrunners who, who are the ones pushing the ship along or sorry the station along <laughs> uh, well, apparently o'brien but, o'brien the and that's along for one episode and then it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> uh, but yeah i think the tone you know was very light or very consistent with tng you know in in the first few seasons i think of a lot of the episodes that are they're yeah they have drama i mean it's a it's a dramatic series it's not a comedy series you know but uh, I think, yeah, it definitely. I, I think I, I see what you're saying. A lot of people are co- color DS9 as a whole, 
as this, you know, gritty wartime, you know, drama. And it's like, even, even during the war episodes, even during the last 10, you know, it's, they, they it's, took time to take me out to the hollow suite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have time, you know, we gotta, you know, let's, let's play some games. Let's, you know, Alan Moraine count to four, you know, let's just, but yeah, no, I think it, and that's the best of Star Trek is, is when it knows it, it, it just, it, it goes back and forth and it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not Babylon five. It's not this giant space opera, you know, of conflict and intrigue. It's Star Trek. So as, as we now transition to part two of deep space nine electric boogaloo. Um, so this is the post, or this is when we get, you know, all those complaints of, of those, you know, nerds who are like, it's a space station. They don't go anywhere. How can it be star Trek? Which would have been the same people, 10 years earlier going, how oh, can you have Star Trek? There's no Kirk or Spock. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's always something with these people. Um, but anyway, so we they finally got a starship, Defiant, and they, you know, as if O'Brien wasn't enough TNG legacy, if only we could add something else from TNG, here you go, Lieutenant Commander Worf. So this is, you know, so from, from you know, the end of season, you're, you know, post-Defiant, which is middle season three, I forget when, um, all the way to the end of, you know, what you leave behind. Um, Daniel, what do, you, what do you kind of see as Deep Space Nine? I don't know whether, you know, you would say this better than me. You know, would you argue that, you know, that's when finally Deep Space Nine came into its own? And if so, do we still feel like it was just like now doing its own thing or still living in the world and, and the tone and, and taking that back? Bat, uh, baton that TNG passed it off to it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people make that argument, right? That uh, the way the warrior and all of that. I mean, it definitely marks a shift in the way that they started to tell stories. Uh, it doesn't feel any more or any less Deep Space Nine, if that makes any sense. Um, I mean, seasons one through three, you know, except, except maybe, I guess, maybe the beginning half of season one feel very unique and very Deep Space Nine-ish tonally to me. Uh, it's just that's when they started really ramping up with the war arc, uh, with the Dominion arc, I should say. I guess it wasn't a war at the time. And then started to do some of the more serialized storytelling. And, uh, yeah, it's it's good. But, you know, uh, it, I like both of them, I guess I should say. I guess I don't I don't really have a preference for, for either one. Uh, early Deep Space Nine had lots of good stuff, and later Deep Space, Space Nine has lots of great stuff, too. Yeah, and, and then one thing that, you know, we take for granted, and, and I know, I mean, I think you both are big on this, but I think, Daniel, you, you often talk about this, you know, Deep Space Nine could have, with, you know, no one would have begrudged them, never, you know, if they had never brought in any, I mean, other than, like, the people who are there, O'Brien and the cast, but, like, if they had never made reference to Galron, if they had never made reference to Admiral Necheyev, you know, no one would have been, like, oh, well, you know, that's fine, it's your own series, but we live in the Star Trek world. But, you know, that's something that we're taking advantage of, but remember, Deep Space Nine is doing this for the first time. It's not like, you know, you had original series and next generation, and they would cross over, but here, with the two series, this is sort of Deep Space Nine is almost establishing this, well, of course we live in the same universe, we're going to have people show up that lived over there in TNG and come up over here every episode or, you know, 10. So in some ways that they still had that. So, you know, whether it was, um, I know I said Galron, but, but any of those folks from Q, you know, or which I know was the early season, but anyway, so, so Darren kind of starting with Defiant and Worf, how did you see TNG living on there? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously Worf, I mean, he's the Klingon in the room. Uh, Shh, we don't talk that, about that. <laughs> and yeah, obviously there you get a lot, but you know, this is a different wharf. This is not a security chief under Picard. And just like, I think a lot of times, you know, when Riker's on his own or when data's on his own, you know, it's just, it, it really lets you develop the character more. Uh, I really think of, um, <sighs> I'm blanking on the episode tab, but the one where Worf's put on trial, because uh, he Star Trek shot six, first the undiscovered country. <laughs> no, no, not his ancestor. <laughs> uh, See, they look so much alike. I can't tell. So that, that's the retcon TNG legacy <laughs> that they got in the original series movies. <laughs> I think it's it's not preemptive strike. No, but no. I know. I know you know which one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's though, actually right? really good. I, I enjoy that one. 
That, that one, whatever it's called. Is no, because it has a great uh, Cisco <laughs> Wharf scene at the end because I know about being a red shirt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we get these great episodes. We really help develop this character even more. And yeah, a lot of Klingons. I think it's not as Klingon crazy. I mean, we get, yes, a couple main Klingons like, you know, Martok and Worf and and such. But it's not like every episode is a Klingon episode. Rules of engagement. Uh, there you go. Rules of engagement. Um, I knew it was like also a movie title, like that other movies had used. So I just couldn't, I couldn't place it, but, uh, yeah, no, I think, you know, like, like we've said, uh, again, they're, they're, they're setting themselves apart and even with the defiant, even with its mission, you know, it's, it's a, it's a border keeper. It's a, you know, it's, it's the it's, national guard clipper of Starfleet. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's on permanent assignment to this station, you know, it's, and it's not even, and again, not, I, I'm not saying this in any way against Cisco, I'm just saying in the fact that a new ship is brought, but it's, you know, it, there's, you having someone who's also the head of the station and head of the ship, and while that did let a lot of the secondary characters, you know, get time in the command seat, like Worf, but it, it, I, upon thinking about it, it's kind of strange that a ship would be deployed, but not with a captain. Well, you know, d- I mean, Darren, do you remember a few episodes ago when you said that all ships are shuttles? <laughs> <laughs> all ships are big shuttles. Yeah. You know, it's like you know, it's. Uh, I'm not going to get into it because uh, that, that wasn't me. That was Ensign Haig. Ensign Haig <laughs> yeah, saying characters. that. Oh, sh- <laughs> you know how an RBG works now. So, Daniel, are you saying that you re- when you watch Deep Space Nine, you refer to it as the Shuttlecraft Defiant? <laughs> I was actually going to be a little more mean in my initial I mean, thought. we know it can fit inside the main shuttle bay of the Enterprise-D. We all know it. I mean, we just... I was going to say, like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, we all have to go and get our driver's license to drive a car, right? So you need a captain to captain a ship. But you don't necessarily need a driver's license for a scooter. So I mean that's that's kind of the analogy I'm going for. Wait, are you saying like like Dax had like the brake that she could press for Cisco when he was analogy failing <laughs> divert emergency power? I kid, I kid only halfway. Um, but but actually, Darren, you did bring up something that is a good point um, to what Philip was saying about like Martog and all of these other characters. Like essentially, these most of these people uh, were TNG writers. And so it makes sense that they would, hey, let's bring over the characters and the scenarios and the situations that we built in TNG and, and move them forward and do something else with them and do something new with them. So like that works out really, especially like, for instance, with the Klingons and Martog. And there's probably other examples I can't think of on the top of my head, but that certainly does happen quite a bit in Deep Space Nine. And, and of course, one thing... <laughs> TNG, not always. I mean, because again, I, I hate to get into. We, we often have these stereotypes that may not be true, but TNG ostensibly is about exploration, right? Enterprise D going out there. Anybody remember when we used to be explorers? Exactly. <laughs> and so now that is not Deep Space Nine. I mean, because it is, you know, it's Bajor and and uh, the Klingon War, and then the Cardassian Klingon War, and then the Dominion War, and, and the threat. And so you don't necessarily have the mission because you know you're a space station. You, you don't, you know, even though you do have this big wormhole, you know, they do go on missions to the Gamma Quadrant, and, you know, whatever. So you know, was that? Do you feel like a change of the TNG Star Trek? Because you know TOS ostensibly, I guess, was about you know going out there, or or it was just a whole new concept of like let's sit here and explore what happens when you can't just move on to the next star, and and it means apparently you become the most important place in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how early like that thought came into their heads because like when I try to consider it from a conceptual standpoint, right. Like that, I think that's the idea. Is that Deep Space Nine is this western town in the middle of uh, you know of the wild and like you you Daniel, stay. Daniel, it's not a frontier. Some people live here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you stay there and you deal with the consequences, and that concept is great. And they explore it fantastically. But then the writers seemingly in the first episode put this out, this you know back door into some this whole new land. I don't know. It, in concept, it almost seems very contradictory that it's we're this stationary object next to this thing that can bring us in to uh, you know where no man has gone before, essentially. Um, and I thought honestly, when I remember first watching it, I was thinking, oh, 
this is just another way. Instead of saying we're going to go to warp, they're just going to go to the wormhole, and then they're going to have the alien of the week. Fortunately, that's not what they did. Deep Space Nine did do something much more interesting with the wormhole, making it like militarily strategic instead of just kind of politically interesting. But uh, yeah. Yeah, to follow your Western analogy, I mean, yes, while it is like a frontier town, you know, on the edge of Federation space, but it's it's a it's a strategic town, and the fact that it's you know it's where the train goes, and it's where the major roads you know converge, and and yeah, that brings you know the you know the the aliens of the week along, and and also you're you're I guess close enough to this new you know to Bajor to you know the the indigenous population. And it gets really interesting later on, especially when they're defend trying to defend it, you know, trying to, uh, you know, there's because they're very vulnerable in that regard because they can't move it again because that, you know, chameleon circuit broke or whatever. <laughs> can't, uh, can't, uh, can't, you don't, you don't want to unprotect the, uh, uh, the wormhole, but, um, but yeah, but no, I agree with you, Daniel, that they, you know, they, it was a really good concept and I think it had to be to really work because otherwise it's like, how do you make it not, you know, TNG two? That's the same thing again, you know, that it's like Star Trek needed to evolve. I mean, that's why I firmly believe like that, whatever new Star Trek we get is has, is going to have to be dramatically different from what we've had before. Television's changed times. Television changed radically between 87 and 93 or 91 when, uh, you know, DS9, you know, began. And so I think you, you have to keep pace in a lot of ways, uh, you know, with your stories. And I think DS9 did a great job of that. All right. And speaking of Star Trek Beyond, we are now going to talk about the other series. Um, and that is, no, it's, I'm going to make a check for It's Star Trek Voyager, of course. Um, Star Trek Voyager, the other 24th century, you know, series. Ba, 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 exactly. Ba, ba, ba. And, and you know that place the Enterprise D would visit like once a season? What would be cool if a starship was there the whole time? You know, it's like Deep Space Nine. We're going to explore this whole Delta Quadrant that the Enterprise-D would visit, you know, every every other season um, for a couple minutes. Um, but, you know, anyway, so so here we have, you know, obviously, so Deep Space Nine is, is you know, TNG's off the air, right? Um, so you get that chance to really think about it, I mean, even though the movies are now... And to make sure it doesn't come back, they crash the ship. <laughs> right. so, but you have the movies floating around, certainly, um, during all this. And Deep Space Nine is sort of creating, you know, it's its own thing now. And now we have Voyager. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to you first, Darren, give Daniel a while to think about all the wonderful things about Voyager. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... but. Is Star Trek Voyager, whether it, the early years or, or any part of the series, because, I, I mean, we can make breaks, but I, I always think there's sort of a cleaner break with Deep Space Nine. But with Voyager, where do you kind of see TNG living on there in this world? Like, you know, we don't have a compens in TNG or, or I was going to say we don't have holographic doctors, but of course we do. But of course we took that from Voyager. But, but kind of where do you see TNG living on in Voyager? Um, well, I mean, the first thing, obviously, you think of is the Borg. I mean, that's... Uh, well, were they know, in the, Voyager? Yeah, yeah, you you know it, it's actually called I Voyager, um, uh, but I think also just the general premise. I mean, besides the whole we're you know stranded in the Delta Quadrant, it's basically the original Star Trek premise of we're we're out here on the frontier. I mean, there was no Starfleet around really in TOS. I mean, they're like. Many times they're listed as the only ship in the freaking quadrant. Whatever. And you know what? Voyage never used that. They totally could have used that. (laughs) Captain, we're the only ship in the quadrant. Well, I guess it's up to us. (laughs) It's like, we we know. We know, Harry. I mean, come on. Pay attention. You don't have to point it out. But hey, hang on. But to be fair, if that that statement was made before. um, Equinox. Equinox, they would have been wrong. They would have been lying to everyone. So you got to be careful. Well, that's true. That's true. But uh, yeah, so I'd say you know the Borg, the the general premise as far as you know a ship that is you know sailing, you know it has a destination. It's not just exploring it, and that I think is also why Voyager is so successful. And the fact that it's not just again TNG two, it's it, it has stakes. You know whether or not those stakes were used as effectively as they could be, or uh, you know that's to be seen. But <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> uh but yeah i'd say also um 
also just family wise just uh you know i don't know i outside in the real world you know i don't think people would say that the family of actors of voyager are got together really in the exact same way as tng did but i think or they definitely it. had yeah but there i think no they definitely had a, had a melding among the voyager crew yeah there, there's definitely camaraderie i mean they just had their 20th anniversary at star trek las vegas and a big reunion panel and it sounded like it was a great great time just everyone just any chips that were on any shoulders were just put in the poker table and they just uh, had a good oh, you, you know. and your poker analogies darren every time <laughs> if i hear one twang of music one twang <laughs> all right no but that that's the only way i can make it make sense philip is poker <laughs> all right daniel so you know here we go with star trek voyager you know we're returning to the starship concepts you know both like tos and tng and so obviously like darren mentioned we sort of get this TNG light critique of, of Voyager. Um, but I think more importantly, we want to know, Daniel, why is Nick Locarno at the helm? Yes. I mean, it is Nick Locarno at the helm. I mean, that is my official headcanon. There's no doubt about it. They can call him whatever they want. Uh, one of the really good things that Voyager did was always leave his discretion uh, completely ambiguous. So we never actually do get to find out what that was. And in my head, we don't need to know because we saw an entire episode about it in tng so i mean there's the there's we've got o'brien in d space nine we get lacorno in voyager it just makes sense we're just we're just we're throughout all of these other series and another thing that always comes to me when i watch voyager uh that really really like just eeks of tng is the set because you can tell the sets are very 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 clearly just redresses of uh, not the bridge so much. I don't even know if the bridge was a redress, but but like um, the corridors and uh, the sick bay and um, engineering as well. I think right. Uh, no, but especially specifically um, the mess hall. Well, after spending all that money making Cardassian architecture, we're like, can we save some money and use some Starfleet stuff? Because we get we have it. It's just been sitting here the whole time, guys. <laughs> I, there's no more Enterprise, so we can just take it. Um, oh, I, I think there's a few one. letters left in the alphabet, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, and and it's interesting. We can we can and here's the specifics because you know I, I sort of joked that the Enterprise was in the Delta Quadrant, but you already mentioned the Borg, Darren. There was someone else we accidentally left off in the Delta Quadrant, and <laughs> Ferengi. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's okay, I, favorite. I know people hate on this episode. Uh, I like this episode. I mean, it's not the best, but I think. It's just so clever that they're like to, to use them from that TNG episode. I I just it just makes me smile because it's just like oh the two Frankie that got left why not I mean someone was watching their old VHS tapes and had a good idea. So so you're saying the uh, is it the prize or the price? I can't the remember. Price. The, the price. So it's you're saying price. Darren the price is basically space seed for you of like the way that episode should end <laughs> of like. I wonder about the seed we've planted in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> if there was ever a Voyager movie, that's what it would feature. <laughs> the Wrath of the Ferengi. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, yeah, the Ferengi are fun. And, and I mean, they got to find their way into every series, apparently. You know, somehow. Uh, but, yeah, no, that works. And, and, you know, the times that they do tie it together... I mean, I think that's one of the reasons, like, the Equinox storyline is so unique in that it's this other Federation ship, and it's kind of been on the same road, and, you know, but very different morals and very different characters, and, you know, it's very much what if, uh, and I think that's that's a great two-parter. I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad it wasn't just a single episode. I've heard people say it would have been great if that had been, like, a season, you know, a seasonal arc of interacting with the equinox or trying to get the voyager back you know so like if if there had been like two ships and then they had made the captain like an admiral and <laughs> i was gonna just bring that up yeah oh am i describing <laughs> another series um you know one other one other moment to me in in voyager that just sticks out off, off the top of my head i'm sure there are many like this but <clears throat> that um robot episode with balana um oh yeah i Blanking on the name. I know what you're talking about. She finds the robot and... Drone? No, not no, no, drone. No. That's it's an early one. Uh, it's like season two or season one. 
Prototype. Prototype. Yes, yeah. Prototype, yeah. And then, you know, there's a name drop of Data, which is really interesting. Oh, because, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's like, Data. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can see, like, Daniel's, like, half paying attention to the TV. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Wait, wait, wait. Is T-Bone Vinci yet? Can I rewind? <laughs> Like, it's Belana Torres, too, of all people, which, I mean, I guess maybe she's had time to brush up on, on Starfleet engineering manuals, and they probably have lots of information about... Um, Daniel, I, I, I know you know this, but let me remind yourself, Data's like the Kim Kardashian of <laughs> the Federation. <laughs> Everyone knows Data. Oh, boy. That's an interesting way of putting it, I suppose. <laughs> well, look, look, he has a crazy family that would make a great reality show. That's true. The Soons, keeping That's up right. with the Soons. It's true. I would watch it. I I would totally watch it. Well, except for Brent Spiner would play nine tenths of the characters on the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but you know, did did we feel like you know because you have TNG? I don't know. I'm repeating myself. You have TNG, and then you have Deep Space Nine. Was Voyager sort of an attempt to kind of bring back to what we knew in TNG, or did you feel like Voyager? In tone, because, um, you know, like I said, outside of the specifics of stories and characters and, and, and leftover Ferengi, um, do you feel like Voyager was trying to recapture that sort of, well, Deep Space Nine's successful doing its thing, but, you know, let's, let's since TNG's gone, let's try and do it again. Or do you think Voyager was successful in kind of creating its own tone, its own idea and approach to Star Trek? Yeah, that that's a tough question to answer, and I will preface my answer by saying uh, that I do not do not dislike Voyager. I've watched the show many times, um, and there are parts of it that I like, and there are parts of it that I don't. Uh, just like every series, but but to answer the question specifically, um, I think a lot of issues that Voyager is consistently kind of pointed at having this TNG light kind of feel, this redux. Of, of the next generation uh, is for a reason. I do, I do think that there's a lot of... So like you said, we get TNG and then we get Deep Space Nine, which does something very, very different. And then it seems like they kind of put reverse on and, and they go back and like, oh, whoa, whoa, let's go back and do the same, that old, that old stuff again. Now, now Voyager came out and did its own thing uh, and, and did it and created its own identity and carved a little niche out for itself for sure. But the premise and and the tone and the way that it's made it does have a lot of that TNG part of it. What would have been interesting to me is to see, and I don't even know how they could do this because I'm not a writer, but like as much as Deep Space Nine shifted from TNG, I would have loved to see Voyager shift from that as well. So, I mean, I don't even know how you would do that, but like it just like it didn't feel like... Uh, you know, Voyager has this premise, and then we just get seven years of that. Yeah, and and one thing in this whole topic, I admit it, it is a little um, um, selfish, um, is that because, you know, as we look through all of these Star Trek series, and especially the 24th century ones, that's why I'm being a little selfish here as far as age goes, but, like, um, you know, I would be interested in how a, a TOS fan, like, and by that I mean someone who grew up either with the reruns or the originals, how they view the different 24th century shows. Um but as someone who loves TNG and grew up with TNG, you know, the, the, the subsequent series definitely affected it. And so Deep Space Nine to me was something very different. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm interested in a space station. But then with Voyager, I was totally like, oh, good, we're back to a starship. It's just like, it's just like my favorite show. And that's kind of like where – so I really do love Voyager. Voyager is my, my second favorite series. Um and so that's where it kind of captured me. So, like, Darren, did, was that sort of flavor of TNG, you know, there for you for Voyager, or did you see it as its own thing? Yeah, I definitely felt it had that that flavor. I mean, I watched Voyager mostly in the syndication, like late night time slot. It was on at eleven, like uh, Monday it, through Friday. It jumped so. around. That was hard to keep up with after a certain part. I'm glad we can now watch it whenever we want to. So, yeah, I stayed up, you know, late and, uh, you know, it was like, okay, it's 11. I had a little TV in my room, you know, and turned it on and got it on UPN, Channel 31. And, uh, and yeah, watched. And so that was great because I could watch five episodes, you know, in a week and just really just run them through, you know, my head a whole bunch. And, but yeah, I, you know, I felt like I said in the, in my opening kind of statement on Voyager, you know, yeah, I think. Voyager had a lot of TNG, you know, but the, but the premise was different enough that it worked, 
you know, that it wasn't like, oh, here's TNG again. Yay, it's another starship, you know. You know, what does UPN need with a starship, <laughs> you know? It's, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, no, I feel I feel they did a great job. It, and, again, another great premise, uh, you know, just like, you know, D-Space Nine, that, that worked. Uh, be- I, d- I never felt like, oh, why are we telling this story? You know, this isn't a story that needs to be told. It's like, no, it was an interesting story. It was different enough. It was engaging. Um, but, and that's true. Cause in some ways, like, like we're talking all about this universe that's being built by, by TNG, but really it's just the principles because we're not even in for all intents and purposes, we could be in a whole nother galaxy. Like every alien's different, you know, I mean, except the Borg, but, uh, you know, but a lot of the things they're dealing with are, are very different. So, uh, yeah, but I think it, but because it's still, Starfleet. I think in some ways because they're the only ship, you know, it just really and that they're, you know, we're going to be one ship, a Starfleet ship, you know, that that harkens back to a lot of what is established by Picard and and even by Cisco, you know, of what to expect. Yeah, and it, it's in I and for listeners, please know anything that we're talking about, we're not trying to denigrate any other shows by any means. But like, you know, TNG, this is the flagship of the Federation. So this is supposed to be the, you know, the best of the best, whereas, you know, with Deep Space 9 and with Voyager, it's just supposed to be like, you know, this isn't the flagship space station or the flagship, you know, intrepid class. It's just, you know, regular Starfleet, you know. Um and so only ship in the quadrant. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you sort of get like a more interesting feel and a new approach of like what is is, you know, Johnny Ensign and, you know, like, you know, and Jane Lieutenant, you know, the, the just regular folks, of course, and you get the Maquis, and then with D-Space 9, you get the Pajorans and everything else. And so you sort of get that more interesting perspective of this, like, this is what Starfleet is. This is that TNG created, but then you sort of get these kind of new interpretations. Like with Voyager, you know, you have the fresh, you know, um, cadets, you know, now Ensign Kim, and you get Nick Licarno. Um, and, um, I mean, you even get Chuckles, um, you know, he was Starfleet for a while. Um, and of course, Janeway herself, and I'm just speaking on the Starfleet people. Um, yeah. And so, so that's sort of a, a, to me, a very interesting thing to see of, of these principles, right? Cause that's Janeway. She's all about her principles, um, about, you know, what would Starfleet do in the situation? And which of course, when you ask what is Starfleet going to do in the situation, I already ask, what would Picard do? And so it's always interesting <laughs> to see how those match up. She has the matching bracelet, you know, WW, yeah. you know. Well, she apparently does PD. a really good Picard impression. That's what I <laughs> You know, I was thinking, too, that, that, that while you were talking, Darren, that, that maybe that analogy that we were giving before uh, actually really works because if TNG is the Daily Show and then Voyager is, <laughs> the, is the Colbert Report, in a lot of ways they share a lot of... Uh, similarities and they and there's a lot they have in common but they they like you said it's a different flavor it's a different twist Mm. for those shows and there are fans of both and fans of each and it's it's i actually think that that those that 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 analogy kind of works for star trek although it it obviously uh is it comes after much 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 after well, if Elsa Dig had ended up being actually cast as the uh, commander in Deep Space Nine, then he would really fit into the John Oliver. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and I'll have to admit, you know, now that we have the uh, the remastered TNG on Netflix, now I never noticed before that Picard does go to Camera Three a lot. That's actually <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. Cool. All right, guys. Well, we've been talking for a while here, so just kind of give some closing thoughts on the 24th century legacy of the next generation. So, I mean, like I said, just to repeat what I said, I mean, I, I, to me, and this is very, this is, I'm not putting words in my co-host's mouth. To me, TNG reinvented Star Trek. Not that no, nothing wrong with TOS or the TOS movies, but it was sort of an update. Like, okay, we have this world. We're kind of going to do a refit, to, to, to use a word, um, you know. Um, of the Star Trek world and add some new concepts, add some new things, add some new approaches, um, whatever. And so you could have, you know, wind up the toy and now it goes on, but then it starts to, you know, multiply and all that stuff. I don't know, like a nanite, I don't know, whatever analogy you want. Um, but anyway, and so that's kind of how I always like to view things and, and having done my rewatch from way back when, and now I'm in, uh, season five of Deep Space Nine and season three of Voyager, and and obviously being a big TNG fan, I always kind of see what's going on through that prism. Even though I love, 
I like a lot. <laughs> well, I, well, here I'll just I'll just put my cards on the table. I really like Voyager. I'm not as much of a fan of Deep Space Nine. But anyway, but watching both of these shows, you know, I I often see like, oh wow, they're, they're, you know, this world we created, and these two shows are doing their own thing, and and in some ways they're just continuing what we did um, in TNG. This show, of course, I love the most. But um, but it's not about what you love the most. It's just all about Star Trek. But anyway, so it's about what you believe behind. E- exactly, exactly. Yeah. But but then again, you know, in the end, all good things though. Um, <laughs> so uh, so so Daniel, kind of, what are your 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 final thoughts here on the TNG legacy that lived on in the 24th century and beyond? <laughs> no, beyond. Gosh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because. It's tough. You don't. You want. You don't want to like. Of course, Star Trek. Star Trek is Star Trek. Star Trek, the original series, defined what Star Trek was. Of course, for years and years and years. And then TNG came along, and and TNG redefined what Star Trek was. Um, and that's just. Fa- I mean, that's just fact. Like, I'm not saying anything bad about the original series or anything like that. It's just it did. It flavored everything that we got after it. It it, it established the universe as it existed from the 24th century going forward. Um, and I think most people, uh, unless like you're a hardcore, like a super hardcore TOS person, like when you say the prime timeline, most of the time you're thinking you, you can include the 23rd century in that, of course, but like you're thinking like 24th century. That's normally what you're thinking. You're thinking, uh, you know, red shoulder pads or, you know, a red top, you know, but in, and, and it's like I don't know. It's the wallpaper of most of Star Trek. It's the I guess it's the yellow grid line of of most of of the Star Trek that we know and love, and so it gives it its it gives it its foundation. It gives it its flavor and, and context, and and we and we all love it for that. I'm sure. And of course, then Deep Space Nine went and did its own thing with it, and then Voyager went and did its own thing with it, and. And we want that to happen. We want these different series to explore those those different things. But as as, as a foundation, TNG uh, just really works for the 24th century. And uh, you know, just recently, we, guys, we had a big conversation tonight about Star Trek Renegades, which came out, and you know, all of these fan projects, a lot of these things that are taking place, they either kind of exist in this nebulous bubble of whatever, or in the future at some point. And they always borrow elements that were established in TNG. And it's just because for what, you know, it was the first one, I guess. It was the foundation. But it's, we just get to see it peppered throughout all of Star Trek. And it's great. It's really rewarding to see that as a TNG fan. Uh, And um, I think it helps people appreciate the next generation more. And then, and then uh, we just want to predicate also that we're not ignoring Enterprise, but, but you know, it's sort of it was a re reinvention of you know. So you know, we boomers, we will we will definitely talk more Enterprise, or you can listen to our These Are the Voyages episode we did a little back. So, but anyway, so Darren, yeah, one of the things I was just thinking was the fact that while borrowing from TNG for for Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they they also really had to be their own show though, because while you can reference you know, the Federation or the Brangi or the Klingons or Galron or whatever, but you, you, you can't assume someone's seen TNG when you kick off a series. I mean, yes, you you know, a lot of your audience is going to be Trekkies and people who have seen it and are hopefully going to follow you onto the next series, but you, you can't drop Galron into an episode and just be like, look, who's here? You know, that, yeah, it's react. Uncle Galron, everyone. Yeah, and it's like, no, Uncle no, you guys. have to establish this is the Chancellor, and this is his ship, and this is what's going on, and, you know. I mean, it would be like a series, you know, using the Borg and bringing Q back. Like, that, you're just, oh. Wait, Hang on, to be fair, I do want to say, I do want to say favorite show. Okay. one thing, uh, the fact that there is a scene played for dramatic effect in Deep Space Nine where the clone of Riker takes off his fake sideburns. So it's not entirely true that they don't expect people to know what the heck is going on because no truth. Sense- but I just mean in the in the general yes, sense yes, like I they, agree. I'm just, you can't I'm just use teasing. it as a crutch to be like we don't have to explain anything because we have 178 episodes to explain it. Just go watch. Of course you couldn't back then because it was, you know, no 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 TV, but uh yeah, but no, I think I think they did a great job and and like I've said many times before they changed the formula enough, you know, to, to make it work. And, but, uh, but I'm glad that they all got to play in the same universe. I'm glad we got from 87 to 
2000, yeah. You know, that's a great span of time to have set pretty much linear year for year this story progressing. And it was a great story. And it was a great run. Yeah. Well, it's been a long time getting from there to here. But the TNG legacy of the 24th century is not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Well, it's very small and intimate. And you get to see, you know, a lot of people whose work you've come to admire or whatever. And, I mean, that's what's kind of cool about it. The fact that it's in a hotel. It's at the Rio. (laughs) And, you know, everyone is staying there. Earl Grey. Yeah, really, she's following the Hasbrat, I think, is really what it is. <laughs> Come for the revolution, stay for the Hasbrat. It's got to be fresh Hasbrat. None of that replicated stuff. Like, Daniel's, like, at the watching the end of this episode, like, tears are coming down the face. It's like, no, oh, it's the Hasbrat. It's so spicy. It's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Also, the original title of this episode was A Matter of Breeding, which, when we talk about things feeling TNG-ish, that could have been a Riker episode. <laughs> <laughs> the Ready Room. It's about people and feelings and emotions. It's about philosophy. It's about the future. It's about hope. It's about glory. It's about intellectual promise. That's what Axnar is about. It is not a story about pew, pew, pew. I promise you that. To the journey! I do have one honorable mention. Name it. Prox! <laughs> How could we not have a top five season five moments without Prax? Warp five. It kind of like is akin to um, when fans saw the Galaxy class in the Next Generation for the very first time, and you had a, basically a crew and civilian complement of what over a thousand people. About two thirds of that complement were civilians and their families. So you d- actually did have teachers and scholars and scientists and their extended families on board. Commentary, Trek stars. One of the things that amazes me about the score for Star Trek The Motion Picture is that he he only had 50% of the movie available to him when he scored. So he, he was scoring an awful lot to scene missing, scene missing. The 602 Club. Where did he get the cloak from on the other planet? I really, really, really want to know. He shows up uh, with the he, cloak. He, he, he kind of fashioned it out of out of a rudimentary lathe. <laughs> uh. Literary treks. It's a small point, but I thought it was really interesting to have here in the book because, again, that's what Star Trek Deep Space Nine has really always done for Star Trek, which is kind of make faith okay in the Star Trek universe and show how it's valid. And so I thought that was a really nice... Uh, and it, again, it's a it's a tiny point in the book, but I thought it was pretty powerful, at least for me, who is somebody who is a faith. So. Mm-hmm. Axanar, the official podcast. It is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time, and there's a certain amount of charm still to that, but it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back, in my opinion. Keiko could totally beat the crap out of Rumpelstiltskin. This is so, like, I cannot buy this at all. That she's just sitting there being like, oh, my baby. At the very least, she could throw a plant at him or something. (laughs) Because we established in TNG that pot foo is a thing. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zoom. Visit the Trek.fm website for the full Trek experience. You can view our podcast directory to stream the audio from all of our shows. If you would like to contact us, just go to trek.fm slash contact. From there, choose Message to a Trek FM Show and select Earl Grey. These messages will be relayed by Starfleet to the three of us. In social media, you'll find us on facebook.com slash trek.fm or join our Facebook listener discussion group called The Babel Conference. Find it by searching The Babel Conference on Facebook. Now let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor this week, Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. 
This is the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Now, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. There's one more way you can directly help us to keep Earl Grey coming to you each and every week, and that's through becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all our great content. So please become a patron and visit patreon.com slash trekfm today. All right, Daniel, if folks want to know why you named your cat Neelix like Barkley, where they can they contact you on the internet? <laughs> uh, they can find me on Twitter. My handle there is at 1updan. That's the number one, not the word. And Darren, if people want to talk about all the wonderful conversations you've had at Quark's Bar with Morn, where can they find you on the internet? Gosh, that guy just won't be quiet. But uh, yeah, they can find me under Twitter, under username Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. And if folks want to know what are my favorite quarters on the Defiant, hint, the captain's chair is really the biggest place. Um, (laughs) They can find me on the internet, and my Twitter handle is at... NC public servant. That's NC for no cots because you really can't fit anything in that, that ship. But anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> well, guys, I'm off to rewatch all of Star Trek. <laughs> so um, I don't fun. know if I'll be back here next week, but um, <laughs> but it's going to be a lot of fun though. So until then, we'll see y'all next week. Make it so. Live long and prosper. Engage fire. <laughs>